Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Brisbane Property Podcast. Today we'll be uh, sharing a live recording of the Brisbane Property Panel with special guest Yuel Scholl from Finance Specialist Loan Market and Danielle Mutzelberg from Beacon Business Accountants. Uh, in this episode, Melinda and I will discuss finance strategy, getting prepared to avoid mistakes when buying property. Um, also, some headlines we'll touch on, such as Mortgage Cliff, along with some uh, Brisbane market update, uh, and lots of things that you'll need to know prior, prior to uh, buying property here in Brisbane. So enjoy the episode. So, um, Denny, I'll, I'll flick over your way to, to start with, and I guess it's a little bit of a journey we'll take people through. As Melinda said, whether you're buying a home, whether you're buying an investment property, why should people have a have a chat or consult their um, accountants um, first before they start to go down that um, that path? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really important to consult all your advisors. So people like Scott and Melinda to help you find the right property, people like UL to help you get your loans in place, and people like myself to um, look at structuring and tax, because um, it's important to get that done first. Um, because once you buy a property, you're locked into some of that stuff. Um, so we often have people come to us saying, I just bought this property. How can I get the best tax result out of it? And it's like, well, you've already set in stone some of those things that we can play with to get those better results. So before you buy, you want to get all the other ducks in line. And Danielle, I know that um, through previous conversations that we've had, it's not uncommon for people to enter a contract and then think that they can get the advice around, you know, how they should structure that purchase. But, you know, here in Queensland, there's certainly um, implications around the the chain or a changing contract name and there's stamp duty implications associated with that. And you can't always have um, the opportunity to change a name once a contract has been entered into. So absolutely critical in terms of timing. When should people be speaking to you? Um, how, how long before they look to buy? Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one um, because you do want to get those ducks in a row, but then you don't want to sort of come in too early and maybe forget what we've talked about or it not be relevant to your circumstances anymore. Um, so people, some people will come to us, you know, six months in, in advance of when they're wanting to buy, and that's probably a bit too early. Um, but the weekend before you're wanting to start going out and buying is definitely too late. So a two, one or two months before you're really going to push that button is probably when we want to be talking to you. I, I agree when you when you started, Danielle, about having a team and look whether it's whether it's your buyers agents or your mortgage brokers or whoever it is, but having that team set up at the start is really critical when it comes to to purchasing whether it's your home or an investment property. Um, you well, I'll throw over your way um, entities so people buyers looking to, to to borrow money, when should they get that entity set up? I know that Danielle said a couple of months out they should talk to their accountant. So understanding what name and entity they buy it under, at, at what stage should they be looking to do that? Look, I, I'd say a lot of the times people know what entity they're buying in. They just don't know the finer details. So a lot of times we might have a client buying in a trust, but they don't know whether that trust is an individual trustee or a corporate trustee. Um, even more so, sometimes in that corporate trustee, there's a shareholder that might be you know, themselves or a company. And those are really important things where it really does affect which bank we can look at. Because a lot of banks, um, all they really look at is if someone defaults, who do we sue? And I know with accountants such as Danny, it's all about you know liability and removing it from the client. So yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I'd say a lot of times they they know what entity it is. It's just finding those finer details of what um, is involved in that entity. And I know something that we have come across in our dealings with buyers, especially buyers that may not have had the advice up front from their accountant. And our job as buyers advocates is to ensure that everything's in place before we initiate a search for a client. So in some cases, clients will come to us and they'll have a pre-approval in place. Um, however, um, they'll then go and seek advice from their accountant off the back of our recommendation and find out that buying in their own name is not the correct entity for them. What are the implications once they've already got a finance approval under their own names if they do then need to change to a different entity? I think it's around the stamp duty side of things. So if you've already bought in an entity, you're leaving yourself not a lot of time between unconditional date and settlement date to fix um, what has been done and then you'll either finding yourself in a position where you have to stick with that entity or pay more stamp duty um, to reverse it. So um, it's really around the stamp duty implications that we see. And what about if they've not yet, um, you know, entered a contract, they've not yet purchased a property, uh, but you've got the pre-approval in their own name. I'm guessing that if they then come to you and say, actually, we're going to change and buy in an entity, it's a whole new approval process. Is that the case? It's around amending the um, entity, which Again, it goes into a queue and it delays things further. I always say as soon as clients want to change things, for me, it's removing the client out of the equation and going directly to the accountant and basically say to the client, I'm just going to CC you in the email so you can see exactly what we're looking to do. And I think that avoids any issues from the start. And if I can just tie that into current market conditions, because obviously um, you may have heard through uh, many sources, especially if you are a podcast subscriber. And by the way, if you're not, I encourage you to head on over to Brisbane Property Podcast on Google and um, subscribe to our weekly podcast where you will get more regular updates on what's actually happening here in Brisbane. But on our weekly podcast episodes, we do provide more regular updates on what's actually happening here on the ground. And if you are a podcast subscriber, you will have heard that we are in a really fast moving market. So, you will, when you talk about delays that come into play between, you know, finding the right property for a buyer to purchase, um, delays around finance can impact on the ability to secure the right property. And of course, that can be devastating for people. Have you seen any buyers miss out because of last minute changes and, and finance falling over? Agreed. And I think the biggest change in this market is borrowing capacity. Like as interest rates go up, uh, the lenders will add 3% to your interest rate. And then that's what they assess you guys at. What I'm finding with a lot of clients at the moment, we're getting clients pre-approved with a bank that will guarantee the loan amount for three months. So it means that regardless of what happens with the cash rate, they're not affected as opposed to the deals we are seeing coming to our table from, you know, different real estate agents. Um, also you guys is clients saying, oh, you know, I got my pre-approval two months ago. Now the bank is saying I can't afford it. So if anything, it's really around borrowing capacity and clients not rechecking that their loan amount that they got pre-approved two months ago is still valid. Good points. Um, if I can throw it back to you, Danielle, because I think that there is a lot of confusion, um, less so for people looking to purchase their home, but more so for people looking to purchase investment properties or build an investment portfolio or even just purchasing their very first investment around how should they structure the purchase? Should they buy in their own name or should they buy in an entity? Can you give any practical 
um, examples or information to the audience tonight around why would they choose an entity over purchasing in their own names? Yeah, sure, Melinda. So entities are good for um, asset protection and tax are the two reasons that we would, well, they're the two things that we consider when we're looking at structures. Um, So someone coming to us, we always want to know why are you purchasing, what's your plan for the property um, and some other personal details which help us just work out where you need to be putting that um, that property. But asset protection, so if you personally have liability, um, so if you're a business owner or if you're in a highly litigious career, um, so, you know, your medical professionals are probably top of that list, um, that's when we sort of would be looking for an entity just so that if something happens personally, those assets and investments are not at risk. Um, or if on the off chance something happens with the investments and your personal assets are not at risk. So that's asset protection. Um, and then tax flexibility. So um, yeah, we see a lot of people, you know, they're expecting this property to make a profit. That's really why you want to be investing. Um, and so entities can sometimes give you a better tax result than just buying in your own name. And, and Danielle, that was, so you were talking a little bit more probably investment on that yep. side of things. What about for home buyers? Yeah, home buyers. Um, I would say nine and a half times out of ten, we're going to be telling home buyers to buy in your own name, um, primarily because you get your main residence exemption when you come to sell, which is not available to entities without other complex legal documents being put in place pre-sale, a uh, pre-purchase. Sorry. Um, yeah, and so generally, home buyers are going to be in your own name. It's just those investments that we want to have in entities. And just to help people understand, um, I know when accountants talk, sometimes the language can be confusing. Um, when we talk about the main residence exemption, it simply means that when you're buying an asset um, to live in as your principal place of residence, that asset, regardless of the fact that it will appreciate in value over time or likely appreciate in value over time, when you sell that asset, it is a tax-free capital gain. So you're not going to be paying income tax Um, or capital gains tax on the proceeds of the sale. That's very different to investment properties or properties that are purchased in entities where the proceeds of the sale or the gain as a result of the sale will be subject to tax depending on um, the entity or, you know, the personal name that that's been purchased in. And again, this is where getting advice up front is so critical. It's not just about how to structure the purchase, but it's also the intent of the purchase. Um, For example, buying a home, uh, most people would consider, let's just go and buy it in our own name. However, there's other things that an accountant can help you to decide when it comes to structuring the finance, for example, of a home. And it might come down to understanding how long you intend to live in this home. Do you intend to sell this in the future? Or is it possible that you might convert this home into an investment property at some stage in the future. And if that happens, if that is the case, the advice from an accountant around structuring finance might be very different. Um, you well, you would um, have some insights into, you know, structuring finance. For example, um, for a home buyer that, um, you know, intends to convert to an investment property, what is the most common form of finance setup um, that's the most tax effective for those people? I tend to say to clients, the first thing is probably splitting your loans up. So if you do have an own-occupied loan and then you're looking to use your equity, for example, to pull it out for an investment, is making sure each loan is split up so that your accountant you know, clearly knows what is for investment use and what isn't. 
Um, you also have times where if you are purchasing a property, which might need a little bit of work, that's going to be an investment. We'll take out a bit more equity for clients. So when they intend to use that cash, might be you know twenty thousand left over, they use that cash towards um, you know capital um, improvement on the property, so they can claim on that side of things. But also they can claim on the interest they are paying on that extra twenty thousand that we pulled out. So it's mostly about making sure again your loan splits are clearly set up for your accountant pulling out a bit more cash um so in case you do any works in that property you can claim on both ends danielle do you have anything more to add in that regard obviously from a tax perspective um that that structure is so important when it comes to a home buyer that might you know have the sole purpose of living in the home for three or four years and then converting it to an investment property um, how would you provide advice? Obviously, this is not personal advice, yes, but uh, <laughs> you know, generally speaking, the the structure of that could be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, you will hit the nail on the head. You really want to have your deductible loans separate from your um, non-deductible loans. Um, so if you are in that situation where you've got your main residence, um, the interest on that loan is not deductible. If you then go and borrow against the equity and use that for an investment purpose, that interest is deductible. Um, but yeah, the reason that UL and I 100% agree with him on this is you want to have a, a second new loan rather than just drawing down extra on your home loan. Um, because when they're separate, we can deal with them separately. It's easy to track. If you just draw down extra on your home loan and use that for investment purposes, now we have to do calculations to work out how much of this interest is deductible and how much is not. Um, and the other really big thing is when you make payments onto that loan, those payments have to be allocated in that same proportion. So if you've got a loan that is 80% for your main residence and 20% for investment, and you pay $1,000 on that loan, 800 pays down the main residence loan, 200 pays down your investment loan. You can't just say, all of that is paying down my non-deductible home loan. Whereas if they're separate loans, you can choose where you're making extra payments to pay down that non-deductible debt and leave your deductible debt around. And then just um, on that, it's around when we're looking at clients, and it probably happens more so with you know mums and dads, is that they think you know we're quick to go principal and interest as an investment because the idea is to pay your investment property off. I think the biggest thing is going interest only, especially if you have a principal place of residence that already has a debt on it. And purely so at the end of the financial year, you can claim on all your ta on all your interest you pay um, on that investment property. Um, you get a tax refund back and you put it towards your own occupied loan. So it's almost debt recycling, uh, keeping your good debt high and then paying down your bad debt at the end of the financial year. It's, it's interesting. There's some things I've sort of picked up from, from both of you guys talking is, yeah, things about protection, um, obviously tax, um, the purpose of the purchase. You know, whether it's uh, and obviously setting up for long term thinking about the future, those sorts of things, separating the loans. Can you can anyone sort of throw some maybe some examples of some mistakes that people sort of make um, so that maybe our, our viewers can that someone might be in that position or have have experienced that or to avoid some mistakes? If you've got some examples, yeah. um, one that we've been dealing with a lot recently is um, one member of a couple is the sole borrower and there's a, a variety of reasons why that's been happening um, but they come to us and they say look we purchased this property together as an investment property um, but I'm the only borrower um, or they want to move that interest around for some reason. Um, the biggest thing to remember is if you own the property jointly all expenses are split jointly. 
So we can't just shuffle the interest to the higher income earner to get a bigger deduction. Um, and if you are the sole borrower, but the property is owned jointly, we need to do some work or put some other documents in place to move some of that interest over to the non-borrower um, partner, um, because otherwise you're losing out on half of that interest deduction. And so just to clarify there for listeners, you will, um, I'll come to you in a second, is when you talk about who owns the property, they are the names that go onto the contract of yep. sale. Um, and remember, if you are purchasing with your partner um, and there are two names on the contract, um, there'll then be a proportion of ownership that is allocated to each partner within the conveyancing process. It's so important that you're getting the advice from the accountant up front to know what should that allocation be so that when the mortgage is set up, you're actually setting it up in a way that aligns with the structure. You're welcome. Yeah. I'd probably say, funnily enough, for Danny here, the biggest mistake is not speaking to an accountant. Um, I find... Um, Especially when you have, you know, someone who's the higher income earner, they tend to, you know, one, put the property in both their names, but a lot of the times, again, go principal and interest. So uh, a lot of our direction is speaking to the client and saying, look, go speak to the accountant first, make sure this is the correct structure, um, purely because they could be missing out on a lot of deductions throughout the years that will, as a result, help them pay off their principal place of residence first. So it would probably be not speaking to an accountant first. And I'd just like to expand upon, um, you know, the discussion that we're having here. Obviously, uh, when we work with clients um, as a qualified property investment advisor, I spend a lot of time completing individual one-on-one strategy sessions with, um, with investors. And I can guarantee you what I've seen more recently, more often than not, is that people are chasing the lowest interest rate. We've obviously seen interest rates increase um, month on month, uh, you know, I think the first rate rise was um, April. April last year, April 2021. Thank you. Um, and people are genuinely concerned about the cost of holding assets. However, when it comes to setting finance strategy up, especially for a property that is an investment property from the outset or alternatively will become an investment property in the future, the way you structure that finance becomes a much more critical element and will save more money long-term than the interest rate that you will pay. Um, Danielle, can you talk to that in any way? Oh, um, I mean, that's something that we talk about a lot. You know, people will come to us and say, uh, how do I get the low pay the lowest amount of interest possible? And sometimes that's just not really the helpful question. You know, are you going to want to save $1,000 of interest but pay $20,000 more tax, you know? So you've got to look at everything holistically. So what are your aims? Um, what are the ways that we can go about doing that? And then you just weigh up the costs and benefits. Sometimes, yeah, you might say, well, this way you're going to pay a bit more tax, but there's this other benefit that comes with it. Um, or the tax that you save is not worth these other ha hassles and heartaches that come along with it. So it's really that holistic advice that you're looking for. And what about um, in a market like we're in, where there's a little bit of urgency coming back into the market here in Brisbane, especially from buyers? Uh, we are seeing a sense of FOMO coming back into the market. That's that fear of missing out, especially in our middle and inner ring locations and especially for quality homes that are ready to move into. Because of that, um, we're seeing an escalation in the urgency to purchase and for some people, they say, well, 
can't I just buy and sort that out later? Um, what are what are the practicalities of buying and sorting that out later? You will, um, and, and you know, is that a feasible approach? Um, no, just to be blunt. Um, but look, I, I tend to think with the market we're in and interest rates continue going up and the news, you know, the only thing you see is there's another rate hike. It's almost forced buyers to speak to brokers first. Um, I know, you know, last year it reminded me of, you know, if you've not seen the big short, um, everyone can get finance basically. And so no one would speak to us. They'd come to us with a contract. So um, I'm finding, you know, buyers are becoming much more practical at the moment, especially with our clients where they're speaking to us before they make an offer to property and getting that comfort. Um, and because the last thing you want is to, you know, find your dream home, put it in, offer, and then you're getting told by me that you can't afford to um, buy the property. What What about um, if buyers, obviously, they want to go and talk to the mortgage broker um, and get themselves ready to buy uh, to buy a property? Is, is Have you got any tips on something they, or some things they should do before they actually come to you? Because there's nothing worse than someone going, going along and saying, look, I want to borrow some money to buy a property and they've done no homework at all. Is there mm. anything they should do before they actually come to you? Probably to fast track the process so that that can get done so that they can get into the market. Yeah, I think it's probably having your documents ready. Um, I'll, I'll speak to, a, a, on behalf of a lot of mortgage brokers, there's nothing worse than, you know, when we send out the fact find and request pay slips and then the client, one doesn't turn up to the meeting, but two um, doesn't have anything prepared. So it's being there for the meeting. And even if you can't buy, it's, you know, you are taking 30 to an hour of someone's time. So um, being practical in terms of having documents ready so we can already check it prior to the meeting. And so in the meeting, we're really talking about borrowing capacity, you know, different lender options and, you know, how the market is traveling at the moment. So makes perfect sense. Um, We've talked about the market and I'd really like to give our listeners an update on the market here in Brisbane. Um, and in fact, just earlier this afternoon, I checked the CoreLogic Daily Index to see what's happened since the end of financial year results came out. Now, again, if you follow our blogs, our podcast um, and the content that we put out on YouTube, you will already know that we've seen four months of positive price growth here in Brisbane. Um, the month of May was the, the greatest rate of price growth. June slipped slightly, but still definitely positive territory. When we look at dwelling value growth, we've seen 1.3% growth throughout May and June and much more minor growth throughout March and April. Looking at the housing market um, throughout June, 1.3% growth at a median value level um, and May was 1.5% growth. So strong sustained growth. And we look at the unit market, we had 1.3% growth in May and 1.1% growth in June. This is a market that is being driven by very low supply. When we look at listing volumes, we're down just a little under 30% on total listings, oh, sorry, on new listings compared to this time last year. Total listings are still tracking well below the five-year average, um, about 38% below our long-term average. So there's a real issue with the number of properties available for sale. But at the same time, we're seeing buyer appetite improve. If we look at consumer confidence figures um, Australia-wide, they're actually very low, um, at historical low, similar to levels that we experienced in the global financial crisis, um, or in the first couple of months in the onset of COVID-19. So you would assume that um, buyer activity because of that is 
is quite slow, but that's not what we're actually seeing on the ground. Yuel, can you talk to your um, you know, client base? Obviously, you're working with buyers, getting them pre-approved. What are you finding is the biggest problem that they're having at the moment? Stock. Um, and, it's, and it's a hard one because I think clients are looking at down the barrel of there's no stock, but also that my loan amount is about to change on the third after the um, pre-approval expires, which is generally three months. So it is really stock. So my advice to clients is when you are looking at a property, um, you know, if you are going to hold it for you know, the next three to five years, if it's an extra 20, 25,000, can you make that difference? Um, but yeah, to answer your question, it is stock and it's an issue. I think it is for all, all buyers in the market. You, you are, uh, when people are looking at buying property, and obviously as we talk about the market being so competitive, is there anything that people can do to tighten up their, their finance side of it? Mm. So uh, obviously, you know, cash is king, as they always say. Um, you know, so if you, can, if you can go to an auction um, or if you can buy a property that, um, with no finance, is, is there anything that they can do that can assist in that to, to tighten up that finance side of it, to make, make their offer more competitive? Prior to putting an offer in is checking that your loan amount is still um, guaranteed. I think that is where the biggest fear is, is because when you're seeing in the market, interest rates are going up, borrowing capacity is changing, people are almost too scared um, to go without a finance clause. Um, so I say to my clients, call me on a Saturday before you're putting an offer in and I'll tell you if you can make an unconditional offer. So it's right before they're pulling the trigger on something is if they have a buyer's agent speaking to them, um, if not speaking to their broker directly. So if they can remove the finance clause, that just makes your offer more competitive. Let's talk a little bit about making offers more competitive. Obviously, that's, you know, the intel that we share with clients as buyers agents here in Brisbane. But there's a few things that buyers can obviously do in a market of tight supply where there's high competition on properties. And when we talk about the level of competition on properties, um, the data is actually showing the number of registered bidders uh, month on month, according to Apollo Auctions data, has been increasing since February this year. What that means is there's more and more buyers registered at each auction ready to purchase. What we're also seeing anecdotally, based on our own experience in representing buyers, is that there are more and more properties selling with multiple offers when they are listed for private treaty sale. It's a market that's starting to show similar signs to what we experienced in that post-COVID boom in terms of that buyer activity in comparison to the number of properties that are available for sale. Too many buyers, not enough properties. And this is what's pushing up prices. Yuel, I heard you comment before about some advice to buyers. Sometimes it's worthwhile stretching when you do find the perfect property, obviously within reason, but we try to quantify the actual market shift on on a property value. So, for example, if we've seen 1.5% price growth um, across a four-week period, we can quantify that um, for a $1 million purchase, that's $15,000 of price movement in four weeks. So that helps buyers to have an understanding of the true market movement um, that we're seeing across the, across the board in Brisbane. Now, of course, you know, the general movement or the median value movement in a market is not always representative of what's happening in, in 
particular pockets of the market. Um, in the inner city market versus mortgage belt areas, there's quite different um, metrics that are coming through in terms of which areas are growing fastest at the moment. So it's important that one, you don't overpay. So getting expert advice or really immersing yourself in the market to understand what the most recent comparable sales are showing you so that you know if you are stretching to purchase because it's the perfect property, you're not paying next year's prices, you're paying next month's prices. And it's really important that, um, you know, if you're trying to pay last month's prices, you will simply keep missing out and you will be on that hamster wheel where you're continually chasing your tail, trying to find the next home. And in the meantime, the market continues to shift. So, um, positioning offers is critical working with your trusted mortgage broker around the risk of removing a finance clause versus the benefit of doing so, but also um, making sure you've got your building and pest inspector locked in up front so that you can reduce the number of days that um, you require for the building and pest clause if that is a private treaty sale. And, and play with your deposit. If you've got more money to put down on the contract up front um, to make your offer more competitive, that's also something that you can do to leverage and, and make your offer competitive. We never recommend putting in verbal offers. We always recommend putting those offers um, in writing, contract form, if possible. That's going to be the strongest way to offer. And we don't have a solicitor here on the panel tonight, um, but my advice is always know what you are signing. So have a solicitor review that contract before you put in an offer in contract form um, or alternatively understand by partnering with a team of professionals, understand what you're um, signing if it is a contract full of standard terms and conditions. Quite often a seller will put in special terms and conditions. And in those instances, we always recommend a contract review by a solicitor. So have your solicitor on standby to review that, whether that's in the evening or in a weekend, because I can guarantee you sales agents will not wait. And we've had many instances where sales agents have closed offers on a Saturday, the same day as the very first open home. And this has happened as recently as last weekend in Brisbane. So it's starting to happen again. And you definitely need to um, keep that in mind if you are in the market to buy. Yeah, I think make sure you've got those people on standby. You, well, you, you're already on a Saturday, you mentioned. So people, can you ring you on a Saturday to get that advice? It's not past 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, Danielle, I, I know we talked about... Um, being prepared and we always say prevention's better than cure so what about if people haven't done everything correctly can, can they change things like how how difficult can can some things be to, to change it if they haven't got that advice up front yeah i mean i'm not speaking to you know ul side of things but certainly from our side of things there's not really a lot that can be done um once you have that contract in and signed that's a purchase so, you know, I know we've alluded to it before, but if you then want to change the, the purchaser, um, as well as the risk of messing around with contracts and thus making your offer look a little bit less, um, you know, maybe someone's going to go with a more simple, a simple buyer, um, as well as that risk, like the risk is that the stamp duty you'll have to pay twice because mm. um, you pay it on the first contract, pay it on the second contract. Um, so, yeah, we just really want to have at least your purchasing entity set before you're signing any contracts. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on is uh, not so much these days, but a few years ago, we were having a lot of people saying, well, I'm going to sign it um, or nominee um, and that'll let me put my preferred structure in later. Um, that doesn't actually work 
um, especially if you're thinking of setting up a new entity, the nominee has to be in existence at the time that you're writing that or nominee clause. So if you go to auction, put down, you know, myself or nominee on your contract and that, that trust is not set up yet, that's a void clause. Um, so yeah, you really do need to have at least your structuring in place before signing any contracts. And I'll just um, go on to say that in Queensland, when you actually, you cannot legally write um, a name and or nominee on a contract, you actually have to have the legal entity name on the contract. And if you are bidding at auction, when you register to bid, you also need to have the legal name that's going to go on the contract on the bidder registration form. So I guess it all circles back, Danielle, to your point getting that advice up front is absolutely critical because if you are in the position where you're about to sign a contract or you've already signed a contract, that's going to be too late. And it's important that um, you understand that there's going to be potential stamp duty implications of changing a name on a contract once it's already been entered into. Sometimes you can actually arrange with the seller when they are agreeable to rescind the first contract and enter a new contract um, without penalty. Um, but not all sellers are obliging and not all sellers will agree to that. So that's why it's good to understand the risks up front. Make sure you've got um, all of the advice that you need to obtain in the right order up front. Um, once you've got that advice, set the finance up in the right structure and you'll, that will make for a much smoother um, transaction. Yeah, I, I think one, I mean, th what we're basically talking about here tonight is is your strategy. So whether it's your strategy from setting it up with your accountant, the strategy with your mortgage broker, the strategy with your buyer's agent, um, all of that strategy and that setup is is critical from, for the key when you start to go and, and to purchase into properties. Um, you all, I, I actually had a, a conversation with a, a past client um, today. I, I reached out to our clients that we work with. One of the things they talked about was um, their loan um, and it's coming off the fixed rate um, and to convert for to variable what what sort of advice can you give on on that side of things with people because i think that's probably going to happen a lot um in nowadays as well yeah and it is happening now i think the first thing we do for clients is firstly pricing with the existing bank um generally a month before you're coming off fix you should receive a letter from the bank to say hey you're about to come off fix um what do you want to do i think at that point is your moment to speak to um a broker call us no kidding um but it's your point it's your um, moment to speak to a broker now i generally give clients three repayments um one what they're coming off to two one percent higher in terms of a repayment and then two percent higher and it's just about understanding from the client if you can afford already to pay you know two percent higher i say clients set your repayments straight away after you come off fix at the higher repayment because all that's going to do for you um, is add to your um, additional repayments where you can withdraw it at any time. So for a lot of our clients at the moment, it's about, yeah, firstly pricing and um, then giving them three sets of repayments and then seeing if they can afford to pay the higher repayment because it means if interest rates do go up by 0.5%, 1%, they're not affected, you're not changing your lifestyle. I think that's really good advice. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk in the media around the fixed rate mortgage cliff. There's been a lot of commentary around the fact that this is going to cause a huge surge in the number of properties that come to the market because people will no longer be able to afford to hold their properties. Um, obviously, we've not seen any evidence of this um, en masse at all in Brisbane. 
Um, however, one thing that we do keep a very close eye on in Brisbane is where listing volumes do spike in certain locations. Now, we've got to understand in a market like we're in, not every demographic group within each suburb or not every suburb has a similar uh, demographic group. And what I mean by that is that not all locations within Brisbane will be impacted in the same way. So if I can explain um, any, to make this a little bit simpler, any areas that um, perhaps are dominated by um, borrowers, so people that have purchased a home or an investment that are highly leveraged, um, they're going to obviously be more at-risk areas, providing that leverage is at the highest um, level possible. Now, there are some locations in Brisbane where more than 90% of the suburb um, who own property have a mortgage. And of those, um, a high proportion have mortgages um, that exceed that 80% um, loan-to-value ratio. Alternatively, there's other suburbs in Brisbane where less than 50% of the demographic group have a mortgage. So a lot of homes are owned outright. And of those with a mortgage, the loan to value ratio of those mortgages is quite often less than 50%. Now, you've got to understand the risk associated with forced selling in suburb A which is highly leveraged and a high proportion of borrowers um, on high loan-to-value ratios versus suburb B, which is the exact opposite. So regardless of what you may have heard in the media around the risk of mass selling due to this mortgage cliff, it will not impact all property buyers in the same way, um, nor will it impact all areas in the same way. And this is why, in my opinion, it's absolutely critical to get a really good understanding of low-risk investing. Um, and when you start a, an investment portfolio or add property into your investment portfolio, these are the sorts of things that you must understand because we should never purchase property uh, purely because we can afford to do so and because we've got the budget to buy. It must be aligned with a strategic strategy and it also must be aligned with what we're trying to achieve from a wealth creation perspective. Danielle, you might be able to chip in here um, as well. When we're working with clients and devising an investment strategy, we work with clients of all types. We work with very high income earners uh, where we've got professional couples um, looking to invest for long-term wealth. We also work with a lot of mum and dads um, just like ourselves. You know, they're, they're not high income earners. They're, they're moderate income earners. They've got children. They're paying for education and they're just wanting to get ahead by purchasing their investment property. Um, they're two different demographic types. Um, and when it comes to recommending the type of investment property that might suit them, it might be quite different. Of course, their budget may may alter, but one property might be um, really focused on high capital growth, which will have um, a lot of holding costs, but be more negatively geared. And another property might be more neutrally geared. Um, it's not going to cost that investor as much to hold. Um, but the income it's going to generate will help to cover the cost of holding the asset more. Can you talk a little bit to, you know, why it's important regardless of what type of um, investor you are, whether you're the high income earner or whether you're a mum and dad investor, why it is important to talk to your accountant? Because 
I'm assuming that's the sort of information and, and assistance that you can provide to investors as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing that we try to combat with all of our clients, so our investor clients and our business clients, um, is this mentality of, I want to save tax and get a big refund. Um, we say to our clients, if you are paying tax, you're making money. Um, so I, I said it out like this to a client the other day, um, you know, if you are putting your hand into your pocket to pay interest, say you pay $100 in interest, at most you are going to be getting $0.47 cents of tax savings. So that is still $0.53 cents in the dollar that you are having to find somewhere in your budget and fork out. So I would prefer to be earning $100 of income, paying $0.47 cents tax and having $0.53 cents in my bank account, earning for me and working for me. Um, so yeah, the first thing is never do anything just to get a tax benefit. You're still losing out from a cash perspective. Now, if you have the right property um, and that property is going to give you good capital growth, there is an argument for getting into it when you can and um, incurring those losses um, to get that good growth. But you really have to know that you have the right property to do that. Um, otherwise, you're just going to lose money on the on the thing overall. And I've seen a lot of clients lose money because they have the negatively geared property. It doesn't sell for what they want it to sell for. They might even make a loss on the sale and they're just out money, you know, and that, that's not money you can get back. Um, so yeah, it's really important to have that understanding um, of negative gearing is helpful if you have a plan for it, um, but don't do it just to get that tax benefit. Couldn't agree with you more. Negative gearing is not an investment strategy, but it is a consequence of one type of investment strategy um, that investors, you know, who have the capacity to target high growth assets um, can benefit from from offsetting some of the holding costs um, against their, t their, their income tax. So, you know, to your point, Danielle, I think what's absolutely critical um, and what's come off the back of what you've said is getting expert advice in terms of, you know, what makes a good investment, what is an investment grade location, which locations grow in value um, over time at a faster rate or at a higher rate than other locations. Um, we always talk about median value price trends uh, when we're looking at property data. However, there is no median value property when we look at Brisbane. Um, the median value is simply the middle score of a sum of numbers ranked from the lowest to the highest. So when we're looking at median value trends, it is um, influenced to some extent by the composition of, of what's actually sold. Um, so we can see some fluctuations when sales volumes are lower. But what I will say is that a single property in a particular location will not always follow the median value trend for Greater Brisbane or will not follow the median value trend for that particular suburb. So again, immersing yourself in the market and understanding value of properties, the most recent comparable sales and how they relate to the property that you're looking to purchase is the best way to understand um, what is actually happening with a particular asset. And of course, um, as buyers agents, our job is to help educate um, clients. And, you know, we are very passionate as a business to not only educate our clients, but also the wider community around asset selection, because there are a lot of people in our industry who are not qualified property investment advisors. They may be property spruikers. They may be just wanting to make money from others. Um, there's a lot of people that are in the industry for the wrong reason. 
and they give advice when it's not correct, it's not tailored, and it's not actually accurate information. So ensure if you're at, you're receiving advice from someone that it's backed up by data. They can show you why they're making the recommendation uh, because, of course, property investing is not a regulated industry here in Australia. So it's really important that you're not going to be falling in the hands of someone that's not qualified to give that advice. Yeah, I think get that advice. Yeah, as you say, get the advice, but make sure it's qualified advice as well. Um, and you know, I'll throw over your way again. Um, again, another conversation I had with a, um, a past client the other day, and it was, it was actually a, a fantastic story. Uh, a young couple that we helped purchase a property. Um, they've then gone ahead and off the back of that after a couple of years and with the the equity that they've bought, that, that investment property, um, and with that, it's actually set them up to buy their own principal place of residence, which I thought was just such a good story. Um, our Through our journey in property, Melinda and myself, we, we used to borrow a lot of money through the equity on property. Um, obviously, these guys have done that. How is the equity these days compared, obviously compared to what it was, it's probably changed, but is equity something that people can use to borrow still strongly and and obviously then they've got to be able to afford to pay the loan off as well. So mm. is that still a, a good way to um, to borrow money? A hundred percent. And I think uh, towards the end of last year, I started this year, it slowed down in terms of the double applications we call them. Um, but now I'm seeing there's just a massive gap between valuations. So as a standard for clients, we'll order about four different valuations, different lenders, because I'm seeing um, there is a big gap. You know, my biggest gap to date has been one client, he's the lowest valuation came back at 1.1, the highest valuation came back at 1615. Wow. And for a client, that is massive um, equity. And, you know, until that client, I looked back and was like, look, if they go get this money and then look to sell, um, where does it leave them? So it is about yeah. making sure, again, they speak to um, their financial planner about what their strategy is for the next five, 10 years, because if they are keeping it for the next five, 10 years, um, it's not really going to affect them. But I see, um, yeah, definitely equity is a massive thing and it's just making sure that you order, you know, four different valuations with different lenders, because I guarantee you'll have at least a hundred to $150,000 gap. That's great advice for anyone out there that is looking to refinance or leverage the equity in their property. So if your mortgage broker is not getting at least four valuations, um, you need to get in touch with UL who can assist you with your mortgage needs. What I will say though, a lot of people in Brisbane and certainly around the country, they may not even know um, their equity position, especially in if they've purchased their own home um, and they've owned that home for a number of years. Can I just say that since the onset of COVID, the median value of Brisbane properties has increased 33.9% up to the end of June 2023. So that is a huge uplift in the value of properties and a lot of people are sitting on a, a lot of hidden equity that they may not even be aware of. Unless you're in the market and you're tracking market movements, um, it's probably not known to you. So you know, if you are considering building wealth for the future, um, investing in property, then you may have the opportunity to tap into some of the equity that's in a home that you may already own or an investment property that you may already own. Um, mm. Yeah. And I, and I think um, first step is probably just speaking to um, a broker. A lot of people stop at their bank and don't speak to a broker because they actually think we charge. Um, 
I don't charge and a lot of brokers don't. We actually get paid through the bank's profits on the loan. So there's no bearing on the client. Like, And that's the first thing I explain to a client. But it's about just say to them, you know, as long as you're coming to the meeting and trying to get value from it, that's all we want. Um, because, you know, another person we speak to, um, hopefully they have friends and family. But I think the first thing to do is just speak to um, a broker. Um, and, you know, again, they don't charge. Yeah. That, that, that equity one, I mean, that's something I, I wanted to bring that up because it, it's worked in the past. Mm. Um, still works. And, and yeah. it still does. But I, I think some people probably, you know, people who have talked about, oh, Brisbane market went up so much and, and it came off a little bit and it's picking up again. Like people are a bit unsure of what they're actually sitting on. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many people out there that have, have benefited from the past couple of years in what this market's done. And it's a positive thing. It's fantastic. You know, if you've got property and it's gone up in value that much, you can actually make the most of it. And that's that's why I brought up that story of the, the couple that we helped. I, I just felt fantastic that what we helped them buy as an investment has set them up to buy their own property. And they don't know that until they speak to, you know, people like yourselves, you know, accountants, financial planners, because a lot of people don't know how to access equity and then they, they are sitting on a gold mine. So um, it's probably credit to you guys. <laughs> Thanks. I like the plug, um, you know, just put in there at the end. What I will say, I know that the big question on a lot of people's mind is, um, is now a good time to buy in Brisbane? And I know through the inquiry that we receive through our business, it's one of the questions that we quite often get asked and we like to help people understand what Brisbane 10 years from now might look like. Um, a lot of people are impatient when it comes to property investing, impatience and property investing don't match. Property is a long-term asset class and when you are investing in property, providing you buy in the right location with growth drivers and you buy the right property within that location, um, it is a very forgiving asset over the long term. And what I mean by that is that historically speaking, when we look at property as an asset class, um, it is a very um, good way to build wealth because of the power of leverage. So when we look at the cash on cash return, um, the returns can far outweigh other asset classes. Now, I'm not here to promote um, you know, property as a wealth building um, opportunity because I think that the fact that you've tuned into the episode, it tells us that um, you have some interest in Brisbane and you have some interest in Brisbane property. What I will say is that the prospects for Brisbane within the next 10 years um, look very bright. Right now, we have low supply and high demand. However, we've had growing population off the back of COVID, um, especially record interstate migration um, each quarter since COVID um, borders reopened. We've also now got international migration um, filling up our homes we have a rental crisis. We've all heard those words being used. There simply are not enough rental properties to provide for the number of people and the growing number of people that are moving into Brisbane and surrounds Southeast Queensland as a whole. So we actually need um, more private mum and dad investors to be providing rental accommodation for the people that need homes. Now, as a state, um, our government provides um, just over 3% of public housing um, for um, tenants. The balance is provided by mum and dad investors. Off the back of COVID, 
more and more investors have been leaving the market for various reasons, um, especially some political instability in terms of some proposed changes to property investors, some rental reforms. Um, and if you're a podcast listener, we suggest you tune into the episode with Antonio Mercarella, CEO of the REIQ, uh, because we did cover a lot of the reasons why we've been seeing that trend. So it's a great time to be in the market as a property investor because there's strong upward pressure on rents. That is not because landlords are greedy. That is because we have a supply crisis and renters need somewhere to live. When we look long term at Brisbane, um, we have the Olympic Games coming in 2023. People often ask me, is that going to cause property values to increase? Absolutely not. Um, one event like that's not going to shift a property market. What will change in terms of Brisbane is that we will, will grow up very rapidly from a um, medium-sized city to a big city. And the infrastructure that's being developed around the Olympics Games is largely coming through in the inner five-kilometre ring. I've said it previously on our podcast, 57% of the Olympic Games venues in Brisbane are actually being hosted within five kilometres of our CBD and this means the Olympic Games is going to be a very different Olympic Games to the likes of Sydney, London and other modern um, Olympic Games host cities where they built satellite cities well outside of the CBD. So as property investors, we have to understand how that's going to change our city because of the infrastructure that's coming. And I do encourage people to read, or read up about, um, you know, where we're heading the way we're going to be living in the future, understand future supply pockets because that's going to determine where the best opportunities are for property investors. And of course, if you don't have the time to do that, if you're unsure about how to go about that, reach out to our team here at Streamline Property Buyers. Um, we are experts here in Brisbane. We specialise in the Brisbane market and this is the sort of intel that we can provide to people looking to buy a home or an investment in our city. Now I'm gonna I'm going to throw across to you guys for for one tip um, for people looking to buy property. But before I do that, I'll give you time to think about it. I think Melinda might have mentioned that the Olympics are 2023 then, so I'll correct you and say it was 2032. Yeah, we I did mention there are Olympics. We're not quite ready. Um, look, looking forward as we talk about Brisbane, and um, you know, look, people might say we're a bit biased on it, but. Um, why not? It's beautiful up here. We love it. Um, it's sunshine. Winters winters are freezing. We, we, we complain when it gets to about 10 degrees in the morning, but the days are beautiful in the mid-20s. So it's affordable. Um, it's livable. Um, look, it's fantastic. And the opportunities for the future are, are just great, I think. And if people are looking to buy property, um, Brisbane's definitely a place to have a look at, I think, for sure. So I'll throw across Danielle to you for your tip for people looking to buy property. Yeah, I mean, it's all stuff we've talked about before. Um, we don't know what is going on with the, in the property market. That's what you have Melinda and Scott for. Um, you know, we can't give advice on loans. That's what you have UL for. We want to make sure that everybody gets your ducks in a row before you start going out and buying property. Get your strategies, get your advice, make sure you know what you're doing so that when you go, you are confident in being able to buy that property. Avoid the mistakes. Yeah. UL. Uh, mine would be speak to a mortgage broker first. Um, I always think with mortgage brokers, we are sometimes a source of information, you know, whether uh, you want to know about the contract, um, you know, building and pests, et cetera. So definitely speak to a mortgage 
broker first, find out what your uh, max borrowing capacity is and then work it backwards from there. Both um, good tips. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, obviously, we've got viewers um, on the live stream tonight. And of course, there's going to be a lot of other people that will watch this subsequent to the live viewing. Um, If people are wanting to get in touch, um, it would be great if you guys could just let um, people know how they can reach out to you if they're wanting some expert um, tax advice or structuring advice up front. Uh, Danielle, how do people get in touch? Yeah, so you can um, give us a call um, or send us through an email and I'm sure we'll have the details available for that. Um, We have our first meeting with our new clients just as a complimentary meeting um, because we think it is so important to get everything right. So we we don't want cost to be a barrier to that um, and we think that you'll find that there's lots of value in what we can provide for you. Good idea. Well done. And UL? Um, give me a call or you can go through our website, you know, type in what you guys are looking for and then we get in contact with you. Um, arrange a meeting, whether it's after hours um, or you know during work hours, uh, whatever suits. Now, I, I didn't get Melinda's tip. What was your tip for, the, for all our uh, viewers? My biggest tip is to get expert advice that's personalised um, before you look to purchase um, a home or an investment property because... Um, The biggest concern that I find um, through partnering with hundreds of buyers over the last six years or so is people don't know what they don't know. And property is one of those things that's regularly discussed at backyard barbecues and people do think that they know a lot more than what they actually know. And there's so many aha uh, moments when we do partner with property buyers of things that they just didn't even consider So partner with professionals, Um, you are spending a significant sum of money and you don't want to make a mistake. Okay, my tip, I won't say be good to your mother. I will, uh, I'll probably say to people, if you're thinking getting into property, um, the right time to get into property is when you can afford to. Mm -hmm. So get in because when you look back, it's too late um, and you'll probably regret. I, I, I do look and where we live now and think, gee, I wish I bought the whole street when I, when we bought in because it's too, it's too late when you look back at it. So if you can afford to, to, to buy a property, um, get in and buy it, I think, as well. I hope that's been um, a really informative live uh, session tonight. I hope as an audience you've been able to take away a lot of value. Um, I also hope that it will help you to be more strategic about your next purchase, whether that is a home purchase or an investment purchase. Um, And if anyone is looking to um, seek professional help from a buyer's agent team, reach out to us here at Streamline Property Buyers. Um, We also are able to help you not only with the purchasing of the property, but strategic advice around um, the best investment that suits your personal circumstances. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for, for tuning in to the Brisbane Property Panel. Um, a big thank you to Danielle and to UL. Thank you for, for your time tonight. Um, thank you, Melinda, and sharing all that information and knowledge. Um, and also thanks to our team behind the scenes, Stacey, who stays in late and helps us behind the scenes and also sharing the information um, for everyone to watch tonight's event. So thank you very much for listening. Um, until next time, take care and bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. 
Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.